You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. I'm going to begin a brand new series called Cover to Cover, and we're going to talk about discovering the power of the Word of God. Uh, This is a different series than I think I've ever done before. I've I've shared pieces of this in different ways, but this to me, uh, as we were preparing and I was praying for this new year, I felt like it's vital to start with the right foundation for all of us, and I believe the, the only right foundation for our lives, our families, our future, is something that lasts. If you build on a shaky foundation, the whole structure can be shaken. If you build on the wrong foundation, it can easily be broken. Uh, but, but if you build on the right foundation, something solid, it can endure in difficult times, good times and bad times. And listen, there's one thing that, that is going to last. It's outlasted cultures. It's outlasted uh, governments. It's outlasted kings and princes. It's outlasted all of that. Because here's what Jesus said. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And we're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about the Word of God. Uh, This is a little bit different, as I said, but I believe that uh, out of this, my prayer, my hope for you is that you will uh, begin to uh, not only have a desire for the Word, but begin to get the most out of what God intends for you to get out of it, because the Word of God can bring life, can bring transformation to you, uh, it can equip you, it can empower you to walk in the will and purpose of God. But I want to I want to go back to a kind of understanding first of all why because uh, we I know we have people every week that are coming to Christ and and saying yes to Jesus for the first time and uh, maybe you know when I share the verses because I'll give you like twenty verses on in a message you have no idea who Matthew Mark Luke or John are you you think well are guys there's some of those the Beatles I don't know some of you don't probably know what the Beatles are. Um, <laughs> Bad reference, um, but 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 there's just that that idea that sometimes we we have things in church that we talk about, say is important, and we don't always know why they're important. And I want to actually go back to that today as we lay a foundation for the rest of this series. Each week's going to have a different focus, but all with the priority of understanding how to grow and understand and discover the power of God's word. So today we're going to start with experiencing God's word because uh, the word of God is not just about history, uh, although it tells the story, God's story, of his plan of redemption and how he's worked uh, through a people and then bringing ultimately to bring us to a person named Jesus uh, who came to rescue, restore, and save us from our sin and give us life and a future and a hope. And, and the Bible is life-giving like no other book. The, the Bible is actually uh, one of the most outlawed books in human history. Right now, 52 nations do not allow you to have this. 52 nations have made this illegal. Uh, it's also, in most places, one of the most criticized, if not the most criticized book, critique book, but also one of the most beloved and one of the most valued. It's actually, practically speaking, it is the most read, most translated, and most distributed book in all of human history. So, so that's, that's pretty incredible. Uh, and, 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 but here's, here's the thing. Of all of mankind, of all of our history, one book has been very unique and stood uh, the, not only the test of time, but has made a continual difference, not just to start a religion, because religions often begin with man's best thoughts of God. And, and many religious books were the work of one person with one set of thoughts and ideas and philosophies. But the Bible's unique because it's actually a collection of actually 66 books, if you didn't know this, both from Old and New Testament, 66 books brought together, written by as many as 40 authors over the span, this is how big of a span, 1,600 years at least. And so what that tells me, over 1,600 years, 40 people in, in three continents, and I think there's something like uh, over a dozen different countries or nations, different regions, and in at least three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. This, this amazing thing that we call the Word of God, it, it may say on your physical Bible, Holy Bible, uh, it's, it's called the Bible, not because there's anywhere in it that says this is the Bible, uh, but it's a word we use to describe what is uh, the, the book, <laughs> and it's not just any book, it's the Holy Bible, and here's why. Uh, if we could put that first verse on the screen, the Bible's unique because while, in fact, no, no, put that picture up first. Let's, let's put that picture up. I want to show you this. Um, so the Bible's unique because while it has 40 
authors over 1,600 years that put pen to paper and wrote down not only uh, commands and instructions and promises and prophecies and teaching, but they did so in a way that brought tremendous unity and, and wove together the same story. Has anybody ever played telephone in school? Like when you were a little kid and you're in preschool and telephones where you, one person starts it and you whisper something in secret to the next person. Uh, you tell them a sentence or a, a, a name or a story or whatever. And, and as you tell them that, the next person whispers to the next and it goes all the way down the line. And the longer the line is, the longer the chain of, of kids is or the people, by the end of it, the message doesn't match the beginning. Are, are, are you with me? The message doesn't, it changes along the way. Maybe because somebody didn't hear properly or somebody wanted to add something in. How many of you were that kid that just, you changed the whole thing regardless? You're like, I'm messing it all up. I'm burning the whole thing down. Uh, but, but here's what's amazing about the Bible is over 1,600 years, all of these people brought one story and one narrative that, and listen, they didn't have Google to do research. Most of them didn't have access to a research library. Some of them uh, were, were, were scholars and scribes and priests and kings, but most of them weren't. Uh, some of them were, were, were shepherds and fishermen. Uh, they were business people. Some of them were, there was a doctor who wrote the Gospel of Luke. There were all these different stories from all these different backgrounds. Some of them were, one was a soldier. Uh, there were all these different people from such diverse backgrounds, but you know what all that tells me? is that there was actually one author that brought that whole story together. Because men held the pen, but God wrote the book. This, this, this picture behind me is, was done recently showing cross-references where one chapter of the Bible, all those bottom lines, let me move out of the way so everybody can see it, uh, all those, those white lines at the bottom are chapters. You can tell where Psalm 119 is in the middle, uh, biggest chapter in the Bible. The, those are each chapter of the Bible, and they're connected where one references another, whether it's a promise or a prophecy or something else, connecting the ideas of the Bible. Now, Keep in mind, this is written over at least 1,600 years by so many different people, and, and, and the, the colors represent how close those chapters are together. Uh, and so you can see some of these go from the beginning all the way to the end, and the more you study the Bible, the more you read the Bible, the more you begin to, especially when you come with a heart of, uh, a teachable heart, but a heart of worship and, and, and relationship with Jesus, something begins to happen. You begin to look at the Bible as a treasure trove that grows your faith builds your life, that shows you who you really are, that shows you who you're called to be, that shows us our greatest need, but also the greatest promise. And all of that's possible because the Bible has actually one author. Men held the pen, God wrote the book. And in this verse, if we could put the very first one up, uh, here's what this has to say. And this is in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God. So the reason why, as a Christian, I have the Word of God as a foundation, the Bible, and why I even consider this to be the Word of God, is because it wasn't just man's best thoughts about God, but it's God's revealing of himself to man. It's God revealing who he is and what he's promised and what he's called us to through the truth of the Bible. And so he's given us that as a foundation. Do you know that the author of this book is also the author of your life? And I'm, I'm, I'm your stereotypical guy. I build things without reading all the directions. Come on. My, my oldest is on the front row when he was a baby and transitioning to his toddler bed. I built the whole thing without reading a single direction. And I found out at the very end, I did it wrong from the start. And I had to take it all apart and start over. I had to go back to the instructions. And when life is not going the direction God created and designed us for, the answer is still the same. We need to go back to the beginning, back to the directions. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. When, speaking of Sam, my oldest, uh, I'll pick on you since they're on the front row today. Um, when uh, he was about seven years old, we went, camp we went camping uh, up to the mountains, one of my favorite places in Arizona to go camp. And, and uh, there was this uh, huge, <laughs> there was this, we'll talk about that later. Uh, 
there was this huge elevation where we were at. It was something like 11,000 feet above sea level. And uh, we went up there to go camping. And as soon as we got to, we, we set our, our tent up, we got all our campsite ready. And then we decided to take a walk down to a, a regional lake that was close by, about a couple miles down the hill from where we were camped. Uh, and as we went down, we get to the lake and suddenly my son began to come down with a fever. He didn't feel well. And we didn't realize how badly he felt until we got down to the bottom of this area by the lake. And, and, uh, and so the, the, you know, sun's getting dark, it's getting late, and so he doesn't feel well, so I'm going to have to carry him. Well, if you've ever been at a real high elevation, the oxygen's thin, and you realize just how to, out of shape you are. Like, like, if you're out of shape at sea level, you're really out of shape uh, in, on the mountain. And, and uh, so not only am I barely able to catch my breath, I'm now going to carry my son who's not feeling well, and he's, you know, and so we're going to get up there. And as we're going, I am absolutely determined that I know the way back. And there's actually a trail, and it has switchbacks, and I hate switchbacks. If you know what those are, it's where the trail goes one direction, doubles back, and it keeps going, and there are a lot of work, and it's hard. So I thought, I'm going to take shortcuts. <laughs> and I know the way to go, because I, I, I have a good sense of direction. And the problem is, I went off the trail with my son, and things are getting dark, and there are bears, and there are mountain lions where we were. And, and as we're going back, I am absolutely convinced I know where the trail is or where I'm supposed to go to the campsite, and yet I've begun to lose my way. And you kind of have that moment, like you're not admitting it, but you're lost. And, and I needed in that moment something outside of me. I needed a trail. I needed a map, or I needed a compass, or I needed all of the above. I needed something to tell me what was true, what direction to take. Because in that moment, my feelings were lying to me. And all of us need something outside of ourselves to be the authority to tell us what's true when we can't see the direction. When we don't know where to go, we don't know what's right and what's wrong. The Bible tells us what is true about us, about our lives, about our families, about our marriages, about our kids, about our future. It's useful and it makes us realize when necessary what is wrong in our lives. Well, why would that happen? I don't like that. I want, to, I want all warm fuzzies. <laughs> well, well, here's why the Bible will tell us what's true even when it hurts. If you go to the doctor, some of us are really bad patients. We go to the doctor and tell the doctor everything that's wrong and everything we need. Instead of letting an expert in that moment not only diagnose the problem, but give the answer. And, and when it comes to our life, we need God, who is the author of life, to not only show us what's keeping us from freedom, keeping us from salvation, keeping us from our future in God and from all that God intends for us, but we also need the remedy. And that's what the Bible does. It tells us both the problem that mankind has had. And, and this is why, in fact, the Bible has transcended culture. Because can I just tell you, one, it has a divine origin, comes from God. The Bible actually, in some translations, uh, say, in place of it's inspired by God, it's God-breathed. Because that's what that phrase literally means in the original language. That, that God literally breathed into the, the word of God, into the pages, into the writing, and moved upon the, the authors, all those things. Why? Because God didn't want you to just have a book. He wanted to communicate his, himself and his will to your life. God himself wanted to reveal himself to you. And the Bible transcends cultures because people, our technology is advanced incredibly. They say over the next couple of years that the rate of uh, technology will literally and knowledge will double every month. We're, we're just a decade away or so from the amount of knowledge in all the world doubling every month. You know, it took literally thousands of years for that, for our knowledge to double. And we're, we're at a season of acceleration, which the Bible foretold, by the way. Uh, but, but here's what, why that's important, because people haven't changed. Our technology's changed, but the problems that we deal with are fundamentally still the same. And at the core of who we are, the heart issues we have, all of that, we still need the same answer. And that is found in God's word, which is eternally relevant. It's for all people in every generation and in every culture. The Bible contains things that are unique to cultures that have passed, but it also has principles in every page of the book that are relevant for every culture throughout human history, through every, to every person throughout human history. And, and, and I showed you that picture to show you that God has woven together a story that is unlike any other. It tells us that the world has a problem, which was sin, but that God himself, religion is man's attempt to get to God. But here's what the Bible tells us. God came to man. 
God came through a man. God came through Jesus. God sent Jesus, the son of the living God, fully God and also fully man, to die in our place, to take our sins upon himself on the cross so that sin separated us from God. And God said, I don't want distance. Some people imagine the Bible is just a bunch of rules. The Bible gives us God's law, God's will, in that sense, morally, first to let us know what God's holy standard is, but also to let us know we can't keep it on our own, and he provided an answer for us to be forgiven, and that's Jesus. And, And so he's given us all of that together, and there's so much more the Bible has to say about your life, your family, your future, your marriage, your your relationships, how you interact with people. Can I just tell you people haven't changed from 2023 to 2024? <laughs> You're still going to need some help with that. I'm still needing some help with that. God shows us how to raise our kids through his word, how to guide and encourage and nurture and, and grow and how to, how to, how to you know, walk in love towards difficult people, all that stuff. The Bible doesn't just affirm, though, what I want, but it actually tells me what God wants and who God is. See, some of times we approach the Bible, I've heard people say, I'm a Christian, but I'm just not into the Bible. Or I'm into Jesus, but I'm just not into the Bible. Well, here, if, if I could just, one, caution you, but also uh, help you with that, is that here's the thing. If I have Jesus, or I accept what I call Jesus, but I don't accept the word he gave me, then what I have is actually, I don't have a God, I have me. If you have a God that always agrees with you, you don't have a God, you have yourself. <laughs> okay. That's a whole other conversation. Um, I believe the Bible is inspired. And here's what it says, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful. It's alive. Here, I, I've been reading the Bible since I was a college student, consistently. Since I was a college student at Arizona State, people wonder what's wrong with me. That was my seminary, Arizona State, go Southern Devils. <laughs> and um, while I'm in college, I... God changes my life. Jesus changes my life. And I, I don't know much about the Bible, uh, but I've got a little bit of a foundation, some Sunday school stories and what my family taught me, but I didn't know the word for myself. I didn't know the Bible for myself. Can I tell you it's important to know the Bible for yourself? Because how will you know if what somebody says or even preaches is true unless you look for yourself? And, and I, actually, let me read this quote to you real quick. Um, this, I didn't share the whole quote for service, but... Um, let me find it in my notes. This is, I came across this quote a few months ago, and I, I, I'm like, I got to mention this. It was, it's from a, uh, a world leader in technology and in artificial intelligence, and he was actually presenting this to the World Economic Forum uh, recently, and here's what he had to say about the Bible and especially artificial intelligence and development of it. He, he said of the original printing press that the Bible was printed on uh, in, in the Renaissance era, he says it had no, that printing press had no ideas about it, of its own about the Bible. It just printed the pages. Is it good? Is it bad? How to interpret it? Uh, how to interpret that? AI can create new ideas. In fact, it can even write a new Bible. This is a direct quote from him. Uh, Throughout history, religions have dreamt about having a book written by a superhuman intelligence by a non-human entity. Uh, and in a few years, there might be religions that are actually, this is, how he, this is his words, not mine, that are actually correct. Just think about the religion whose holy book is written by AI. That could be a reality in just a few years. Again, imagine we have something that tells us exactly what we wanted to say instead of something that's outside of us that has always been true in every generation and has always transformed nations, lives, families, cities, all of that still points away to the only Savior. But imagine, you know, we think we're more sophisticated than somebody who once chopped down a tree, carved that log into a little image, bowed down and worshiped that idol. And we think, oh, we're not like that anymore. Instead, we'll create a software program that tells us what we wanted to say. And some of us think, man, that's just, how is that even possible that anybody could accept that? Well, well, generations, not only now, but the future generations have never known a time where AOL dial-up was a thing. <laughs> where, where, I remember when Google was new. Like, somebody told me in college about Google. I'm like, I got to find out what Google is. Uh, I was still using Ask Jeeves, come on. Uh, and, and, and there's things that are easier now for a, a, the next generation that, I mean, your grandkids, those of you who are grandkids, know stuff better than you about technology and because they've always been raised with it. Now, the good side of that is we have the greatest opportunity to reach the most amount of people 
with the good news of Jesus because of technology, but there's a negative side to that, which means we have a familiarity with it that if we don't have discernment about what's true and what's a real authority in our lives, we'll, we'll look to an inferior source of our own creation to tell us who we are. I know I said a lot, but I mean, I, I, I've, I've counseled people who have struggled and looked for their identity by a Google search and, and tried to figure, and, and here's, here's why I'm telling you this, because God's word is God's love letter to you to let you know who he is and who he's called you and I to be. His word becomes the authority. When I started reading the Bible, I realized I didn't have it all understood. I didn't have it all figured out. I've been reading, teaching, and preaching the Bible now for, it'll be 20 years this year, and there's still plenty I don't fully have a grasp on. I think we're going to be digging in and studying for all eternity, talking about the word and will of God. I think that's amazing. You know, heaven and earth will pass away, he says. His word never will. I think that's great, but here's what I want you to understand. When we read this, the Bible is alive, it's living, and so it's not just like any other book. I still find stuff that I, I've read it a hundred times, but it comes alive in that moment. And it feeds my soul, and it leads me, and guides me, and even corrects me, and, and it changes me. Here's why that's possible, because I've gotten to know the author, and I've allowed this thing to be the authority in my life. And, and, and so I don't come to prove, some people only read the Bible to prove an argument to be right. And by the way, that's Christians too. If I do that, I'm missing bread to feed my life. I'm missing the purpose for which God gave me his word, and I'm actually missing so much. I think it's like, you know, I was a kid, I, when I was a kid, I was a huge fan of Indiana Jones. I wanted to be an archaeologist just because I thought archaeologists had whips and hats and <laughs> jumped out of planes and all that stuff. And I, but but, but here's, here's what I found. Coming to the word of God is like finding a treasure every day. When you allow God to, because God breathed into it. It's powerful. That's the second part of that verse. Powerful. That means that it's not just a text or a book. It's not just history of what God did back then. Yes, it tells us of not only just events, but some of the most important events in human history. But it also is a prophetic book telling us what God still does. What God still will do in my life for all who call on him. He's still a God who answers prayer. He's still a God who rescues and sets free. The word of God can bring revival to your life and your faith. The word of God can, can bring transformation to your thought life. The word of God can build your marriage. The word of God can, can build your, your character. The word of God can do all of that and so much more. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 8. And uh, this parable was important because it's, he actually will say in one of the gospel accounts that it's the key to all the parables. But here's, here's, let me just summarize the story and then we'll look at it. So Jesus is teaching in parables to illustrate truth, but also to, how do I say this? Conceal truth. <laughs> Not in the sense of keeping things from us, but his disciples come to Jesus after he would tell parables. Parables were just stories, illustrations of, of eternal spiritual realities. And yes, he taught that to make complex things very simple. Einstein said, you don't understand something until you can tell it simply. So, so Jesus, uh, he, 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 he unpacks profound truths about life, about eternity, about all that in very simple stories. But he also does that because there's certain things that it just, those stories just create questions. His disciples, those that walk with Jesus, come up to him and say, hey, Jesus, could you please explain that? We don't get it. And what I love about a disciple is a disciple doesn't have all the answers. A disciple knows where to go for the answers. A disciple doesn't have it all figured out. A disciple knows where to go to the source. And they go to Jesus, who they've now developed a relationship with, and they begin to ask him, well, one of the parables he told, one of the stories, is of a sower, a man with seed, walking along a roadside, and he casts the seed into four places, representing four different types of people who have different experiences with what the seed represents. And he will go on to explain it. I'm going to read that in just a second. But, but the first he casts the seed upon is the roadside, which is hard ground. It's hard because it's needed to be hard to, to walk on. It's well-traveled, but it's ground that while it's suitable for one thing, traveling, it's poor for growing crops. It's hard ground. It's tough ground. 
It's not been cultivated. It's, not, it's been neglected for that purpose. And he, he casts seed on there and some birds come and they eat the seed. The second type of soil he throws it to is soil that has rock and dirt and it's very shallow. The dirt is very shallow. And so when the heat of the sun rises over what seed has been planted and beginning to grow, it doesn't have time to develop roots. In fact, it can't because of how shallow it is and the sun burns it out. The third kind grows. He puts the seed in the ground, it begins to grow, but it's crowded by other plants, other crops, other weeds, and all these different things, and it begins to choke out with thorns what the seed was planted, uh, what the seed was planted to do. The fourth soil is good soil, cultivated soil, prepared soil, and that seed grows and produces. One gospel counts as 30, 60, 100 fold what it started with. Here's the point. Let me just read you this explanation that Jesus gives to his disciples. Uh, this is in Luke chapter 8. Verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. And those by the wayside are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes, represented by those birds in the story, and take the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. The ones on the rock, the second soil, are those who hear and receive the word with joy. They get excited about the word, but these have no root, and they believe only for a short time. And in time of testing or temptation, they fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the fourth, the good ground, are those who have, the, have heard the word of God with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So, so he describes four different things. Here's what I want you to see, first off, is that uh, the seed is the same for all four soils. The seed is the word of God by the explanation of Jesus. And why that matters is it's the same word, same living, powerful word for different responses. You could have the same word sown into the lives of four different kids in a family. One of them bear fruit, one of them not. One of them have a hard heart, one of them not. There can be four different, in a church, you can have 400 people and 100 receive it, take that word and apply it to their life and, and it changes them, but it not only changes them, but it changes their family and their marriage and everything about their life and they take that word to the world. But then there's some that just simply get distracted and the word of God is just something added to a much more crowded field. And some just simply have a hard heart and, 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 and don't receive and don't experience. Here's the point. The word is living and powerful and available for every single human being. This will work for every person alive on planet earth. Why? Because of its source and its source is found in God. It has authority in my life because of the author. It can change my life. It can produce powerful results. It can build my faith. Faith comes by hearing the word. It can do all those things. As Christians, as the people of God, there is no, in fact, here's what the Bible says. If we can put, uh, I, I, sorry for the media team, I totally destroyed my notes today. But, but in, I think it's in 1 Peter. Peter says this, lay aside malice and anger bitterness and all wickedness and all that stuff. Just lay it aside. Just set that garbage aside and receive. Here's what you should do. Desire like a baby desires their mother's milk, desires that nourishment, desire the milk of the word, desire the, that you may grow. And, and, and here's, here's what I love about that. Some of us, and I've been there many times, I've had seasons of my life where, man, I'm just not in the word as much. And I'm kind of like that first soil. In fact, I'm going to give you these because I believe these are conditions of the heart. The first soil, if you're taking notes, is the hardened heart. That's the roadside. That's the hard ground. That's the difficult ground. It's the ground that's not cultivated. And as a result, it's nothing that's placed there grows there. And when I find myself at a place where my desire becomes cold... Why, why do we do 21 days of fasting and prayer? Why do we have this 90 days to read the New Testament as a church? Why, why are we doing that? Because I want to develop our appetites. 
I don't think anybody, did anybody wake up? Now, if you did, God bless you. Did anybody wake up saying, I am hungry for broccoli. Come on, somebody, I want some broccoli. <laughs> Give me that broccoli shake, yes. You're a saint. The rest of us, we wanted our lucky charms. We wanted some sugar. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but we want pancakes with syrup and chocolate chips and all that. Why? Because you will be hungry for what you feed on. And, 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 and what Peter said is, the more I feed on the word of God, I'm to desire it like, my, like, like, like a child desiring their milk. So there's a and the only way to grow, can I just tell the Christian who's been a believer for 20 years and been to church for 20 years, you got the t-shirt that says, been there, done that, heard that. You will not grow without this book. To the most gifted, talented, anointed person in the room, you will not grow without this book. You will not stay grounded without this book. In fact, I, every friend of mine who's ever blew, blown up their life, it was when they started to set aside the word of God. Build their life on their own ideas, their own philosophy, their own feelings in the moment that didn't last. And, and, and the word of God is our foundation. And I, I, I bring that to the first one, the hardened heart, because here's what happens. Hardened hearts are developed first and foremost through neglect. Now I know in the parable, he's talking about those that hear of Jesus, hear the gospel, and the enemy takes away what was planted. But, but that principle's the same, even for the Christian who's allowed, because here's what happens. Jesus would go on and talk to his disciples, and he would say over and over and over, when they didn't believe or didn't understand what he was doing, they, he'd ask him, he says, why is your heart still hardened? It's, it's, it's what happens in our heart whenever we get disconnected from the life of God. It's what happens in our heart when we don't prepare and cultivate what God is giving us through his word. Because this, 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 the Bible, the word, is both the seed and it's the tool to cultivate the soil. And soil that's neglected. We have a couple farmers in our church and you know more than anybody how hard it is to grow stuff. <laughs> how hard it is to grow the right thing and to produce crops and, and prepare the ground and till and, and all the things you have to do just to get to the harvest. When uh, my wife and I got our first house, there were two trees in the back. It was in Arizona. And we had two fruit trees in the backyard that I killed within a month. If there's an opposite of a green thumb, I've got it. And, uh, and, and, and so I killed both of these trees. And we had a rock landscape. So thankfully, it was the only other thing I could kill was the fruit trees. Because uh, that's what you do in Arizona. Nothing else grows. So you just put rocks down. And, uh, and so that's, that's what we had in our backyard, except there was one thing that grew. There was this one corner of our house that I wouldn't see very often. We both worked long hours when we were first married. And, uh, and so, you know, we basically were coming and going to the house. And I didn't see this one corner over by this one part of our wall around the house. Because in Arizona, everybody puts walls. You don't see your neighbors or talk to them. Um, and so we had these walls. Right in this corner behind my house was this weed a weed, not weed. Let me clarify, because some of you are like, what's the problem with that? <laughs> You're like, woo! <laughs> Something's growing. This weed grew in our backyard. That I, this is not an exaggeration. It grew this tall before I noticed it. Grew this tall. And I never had to water it, give a miracle grow, or anything else. All I had to do was neglect so let's look at these real quick. The first is the hardened heart. Neglect caused by, and the Bible tells us what hardens our heart. The first is sin. When, when I choose my way instead of God's way, and, and here's what I love about the Bible. There's, there's promises, there's encouragement, there's all of that, but there's also correction to let me know of what's, what leads to life and what leads to captivity. And, and God tells us that and as, you, as you read. Have you ever read the Bible and get encouraged by something and then you read the next verse and go, ouch, that hurts? And here's what happens. That's actually not a bad thing. Now, condemnation is a bad thing, but conviction's a good thing. Here's the difference. Condemnation is a lie from the devil putting shame in your life to cause you to run from God. It's what causes you to go, well, God doesn't love you anymore, and you've done it again, and, and now you failed, and, and, and it's what pushes you from God. It's what causes you to run. I don't belong in church. I don't, I don't belong. In. It's that lie that we listen to. That's condemnation. That's from the pit of hell. But conviction's a good thing. Conviction is God's correction to our heart through the Holy Spirit and the word of God saying, 
this isn't who you are. This isn't what you're called to. And it begins to cut deeply in our heart in a way that's good. Listen, but here's what happens. It's like a knock. The Holy Spirit, the word of God is knocking at our our heart. And we have a choice. We either answer the door and respond and allow through repentance, allow God to transform us and receive his forgiveness and his mercy, which is new every day. That's, That's one response. Or we can ignore the knock. And the longer we ignore the knock, the harder our hearts get. Tragically, some get to the place where they no longer hear the knock anymore. Not because God's given up or because God doesn't love them, but they've said no for so long that they've allowed their hearts to become hard ground that no seed, no word can affect. But here's what I want you to catch. Sin hardens our hearts, so does tradition. Tradition's not bad by itself. I got Christmas traditions, I got all that. But religious tradition when it takes the place and puts itself as an authority above God. If I, as a pastor, ever say, this is the way we've always done it, that's the day I quit. (laughs) And should. The message stays the same. Methods change. How we reach the world changes, but the message stays the same. The word of God stays the same. People say the church is declining America. It's actually not. But wherever the capital C Church, abandons this as the foundation, it it actually does. But God's called us to life. God's God's doing something. We live in the greatest opportunity, I think, to see people come to Jesus. We we live in a harvest time, as I've told you. But here's what happens when our heart is hardened by, and tradition's not just from religion. Tradition can come from our own families our own culture. Well, this is just the way things are today. You're just old-fashioned. This is the way it is. Well, what if that's your hardened area of your heart saying no to the very seed of the word that could give you life? Hardened heart. Hebrews 3.15, today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. God invites us to life. He invites us to him, and he does it through his word. Uh, the second thing, I'll go through this quickly. The second one is a shallow heart. It's a soil that's in on the, the, the roadside that has dirt and rock. But the problem is the dirt is shallow and there's no depth. Here's what happens whenever I, I let just enough of God in, enough of his word in, to feel like I met a religious quota, but I don't allow him to change my heart. Do you know what? I don't allow him to go deeper in my walk with God. I have shallow. I, I, I have shallowness in my faith. No matter where you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, five seconds or 50 years, there's more. (laughs) Did you hear me? There's more. There's more of God. There's more of his promises. There's more in his word. And if we don't allow, here's what happens. The lack of depth meant a lack of roots that sustained the growth of the plant. The strength of a tree is not its trunk, it's not its branches, it's not its leaves, it's the roots. When I went through Hurricane Irma in Florida, man, there were big old oak trees, 100, 150-year-old trees, totally uprooted. They were massive, but their roots were proportionately shallow. And so that beach sand, man, they just uprooted the moment there was wind, the moment the conditions were adverse. Here's what happens if you don't get deeper roots in God in the good seasons, when the testing comes, when the contradictions come, when the pressure comes from the storms of life, you won't have that root system to keep you strong and steadfast and anchored to what actually keeps you in life. He comes and burns it out. The third soil, quickly, is the crowded heart crowded heart, and maybe at the beginning of 2024, as you prepare and plan and look at goals and dreams for this year, that's all good. I'm doing the same thing. I have to ask myself one question at the beginning of every year. Is my heart crowded right now? Is my, see, the seed is planted, but the heart, the condition of the heart represented by the soil is so full of other stuff. He describes cares. What are cares? Well, in some places in the Bible, cares describe worries. If you've ever been up at night worrying, it's hard for you to have hope for the future. It's hard for you to dream, plan, all that stuff because worry is taking your, it's preoccupying your thoughts. So the answer is take your worries to God, the only one who can take care of them. Jason, if you want to get ready. But here's, here's what happens. 
Cares are not just worries. Cares are anything, even good things, that divide our focus and crowd our life. Good things can take the place of God things. And as the plant began to grow, as it began to grow in the soil, it was choked out by cares. It says the riches. Is it bad to have money? No. But it is bad to let money have you. (laughs) There's a difference. God can use resources to change the world, bring good news and hope and, and, and feed the the, the poor and broken and, and lift people out of poverty. All that stuff. Poverty is a curse, by the way, if you didn't know that. Just, just go to a nation racked with poverty. I've spent time in nations with total abject poverty. It's a curse. But here's what I want you to understand. Anything, even a necessary thing or a good thing, can crowd our heart and choke out. Just while that big old nasty weed in my backyard was growing, there wasn't room for other stuff. And, and what God's word does, it helps us to recognize what things are taking the place in my heart and in my mind and in my schedule and in my life that are actually choking out what God's trying to do. I think that's a good question to ask God, to be honest. The last one is the good heart, the good prepared heart that has done the work to cultivate the soil and make room for God. Now, some of you think, I forgot my points. I didn't forget points. I've got three quick ones at the end for those taking notes. How do we prepare our heart? How do we prepare our heart to have the good soil? I think all of us want that on some level. And then we're going to pray in just a moment. But let me give you these three quickly. Number one, here's what you do. Start with this. We need to make God's word the final word in our life. When I started with the Bible, I didn't understand it all. There's still some things I don't fully understand. Here's what I know. When I came to this word... I came as a student, not an expert. And I just asked God, you got to show me, you got to teach me, you got to help me. And I allowed my life to come under the authority of this. I haven't done that always perfectly, but anytime I get outside of that, I always, God brings you back into and invites you into because what God blesses is what's under his authority. The authority of this, the word of God. You want to build a marriage that's going to last? It's filled with God. Because I've told you a thousand times, Christian marriage is not two Christians married together. Yes, our Christian mingle profile is matched. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but can I tell you, it's Jesus at the center. How, how do you build a business with integrity, without cutting corners, without keeping back certain things that you don't want to admit or report or share about or or pay or whatever. How do you do things the right way? You build with integrity based on the word of God because you're building a kingdom business. How how do you show up at work, whether you're an employee or a boss? How do you treat people? Well, the Bible tells us how to do all that and do it in a way that's life-giving and experience the best because when we allow God's word to be the authority, God can bless it. Make God's word the final word. I'll be honest with you, there's been some times where I've come to this Bible, to this word. In fact, this actual Bible I got as a gift 20 years ago. I've come to these passages. There's been some where I go, I don't like that so much right now. (laughs) But because I accepted his word as the highest word in my life, I allowed God to be God instead of telling God what I think. And it's changed my life. And it's it's brought about God's results because my results I've found are always inferior. The second one is we need to spend time in the word of God every day. Don't hear this message or me talking about prayer and how we need to pray or anything we're called to do as believers and listen to the voice of condemnation that says, you don't read enough. You don't pray enough. I I had somebody just last week as I talked about 21 days of prayer and reading the Bible together. They they, they were literally just, just heartbroken out of their own feeling of like, I just never do it enough. That's, that's, that's not what we're saying. But I'm inviting you to something that will build your future on a foundation that lasts. Here's what God said to Joshua, a man who was not a, a, a religious leader only. He was actually a soldier, a general. And here's what God told him at the most critical moment of his calling as he was about to take on the promised land. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law, the word of God, 
shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Now, now meditate's not go on a mountain, chant and empty your thoughts. Because anything you empty in your soul will be filled by something like it or not. Different message, but amen. Biblical meditation is filling your life. It's not emptying your life. It's filling your life with the right thing. Meditate in that word day and night, Joshua, that you may observe to do what's written in it. I can't do God's will. I can't walk in God's will if I don't first have it in my heart. It's not performance. It's not rules. It's a transformation of the heart. Then he says this. Here's the result. You will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Wow. God could have given a, if I'm a military commander like Joshua, I need a strategy. Like, show me what to do and how to, yeah, God will give him that, but it's going to be a supernatural one. And to see what God wanted him to see, he had to first get the word of God in his life. So get in the word of God. Spend time in the word daily. And here's the third and most important, I believe. Get to know the author. Jesus talked to the religious leaders of his day. And he said, you search this, the scriptures, thinking in them alone, you have life. But they speak of me, Jesus. He says that. Like the goal of the Bible is actually not to know the Bible. I hope you've heard my heart in this, that we should have a high view of the word of God. But Jesus said, the goal of the Bible is to know me, to know Jesus, to know the author. In fact, I believe that the Bible was never meant to be read apart from a relationship with the author. It points us, I know many people who they just, they read the Bible and found Jesus, found faith in him. But I also know that the Bible is meant to be read with the author, a relationship with him. It's not just something that I fill my head with, my, my mind with, but actually something that impacts my heart. Not so I win a social media argument, prove a doctrine, or build a religious organization, but so that my life is changed by the word of God that lasts forever. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. One of the things I hear a lot is, well, I'm just not a reader, so, so it's not for me. I love the disciples. They were not, in fact, it actually says they were uneducated and untrained, but they've been with Jesus. And it actually says in Luke's gospel that they, Jesus opened their understanding to comprehend the scriptures. The Bible is an invitation for us to know God and to experience what God has for us. I don't read this as history, but I find out that if God did it then, God can do it again. If he set them free, he can set me free. If he healed them, he can heal me. If he, if he forgave them, he can forgive. It's an invitation. But the goal of the Bible is to know the author. And I wanna encourage every Christian in here who's been maybe disconnected or our hearts have been crowded or hardened in some way. We haven't allowed God to go deeper in our life. At the beginning of this year, as you plan and set goals for this year, all good, I would encourage you to make the center point your faith in God, your relationship with Jesus. If you grow your life spiritually, it'll affect everything else. And, and, and when I started reading the Bible, here's what I did. I just asked God, can you, can you talk to me? Can you speak to me? Can you lead me? Because God, God breathed into this and I would open the Bible and suddenly something that I wouldn't have understood five minutes before stood out and God began to challenge me or grow me or encourage me read the book with the author we're starting the New Testament I read the Old Testament probably as much if not more than the New but some of us will just get stuck in Leviticus and we'll give up But I want to challenge you, really. That's a, that's a practical step. Join with us in that. But most of all, get to know the author. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We'll be out here in just a moment. Prayer team, if you come to the front. Some people will read the Bible and just get more religious. But I believe the reason for that is because they still think they're the authority and or their traditions, the authority, trying to prove an argument. But instead, the what grows us is meeting the author. Do you know why God would take the time over 1,600 years through 40 different plus people 
to weave together a story that is so important and so necessary still in this moment, in this time, in this generation. It's because he loves you. God did all of that for a reason, because he loves you and he wants you to know him. Our sins separated us from God. But Jesus came 2,000 years ago. All that came before that in the Bible pointed to the cross. And all that's come after points back to that moment where all of history changed. And Jesus himself took my sin and yours and he died on the cross, not to start a religion, not so we had crucifixes on the wall, but so that you could be forgiven of all of your sin. And I could be forgiven of all my sin. We've all failed, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short, none of us are good enough. There will not be one good person in heaven except Jesus. But there's a whole lot of forgiven people because of a sacrifice on a cross. He's buried in the tomb. Three days later, he conquered sin, conquered death, conquered the grave. He was witnessed by 500 people who were so impacted by his resurrection. Some of them wrote down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, parts of the book that you and I hold in this Bible. Most of them gave their lives for what they saw, a risen savior, because they wanted others to know what they experienced. And I want you today do you know Jesus like I've described? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with the Jesus of the Bible? Not the Jesus of culture, tradition, but the Jesus of the word of God that still saves, that still sets free, who will tell you who you really are, who will heal you where you're most broken. He'll stand beside you, never leave you, never forsake you. You're a Christian in here, but man, some things have crowded. And today you need to begin this year rededicating your life to Jesus. To recommit your life to him. You want him to be back at the center. If either of those are for you for the first time or to come back home to God, with no one looking around, say, that's me, Brian. I need Jesus. I need a relationship with God. Would you pray with me? I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand all over the room. People are responding. Keep them lifted for just a moment. Let me pray with you. And I'm gonna ask every person in here to pray this with us, to encourage those that are responding to God. I did the same thing just over 20 years ago. Got down on my knees by my bedside and I called on him. At that time, I was the only one serving God in my family. At that time, I, I didn't know what to know or believe. I was being told something so contrary for my family, or my, not my family, my friends and my professors and all that. But I just, I got down on my knees and I did what I'm gonna lead you in in just a moment. And I cried it out to Jesus and he met me and he changed my life and he'll do the same for you. Would you pray this with me? I'm asking every person, pray this with us to encourage them from your heart. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be my savior and be the Lord of my entire life. Today I surrender to you. Forgive me, set me free, and fill my life. Today I put my trust in you. From this day forward, in Jesus' name, amen. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.